Hello, I'm Regina Botras and welcome backstage where we talk with theatre makers from actors, directors, writers, theatre heads and beyond about their life in the theatre and how they got to be where they are now. And I'm so excited to welcome my guest. It's Grant Dodwell. He's a professional actor, writer and producer with over 40 years experience in theatre, film and television, a triple recipient of the Silver Logie for Most Popular Actor, most well known for playing Simon Bowen in A Country Practice, one of my favourite shows growing up, I must say. Um, But he has an extensive career on the stage playing at Belvoir Street Theatre, The Old Tote, Royal Queensland Theatre Company, South Australia Theatre Company, played the lead role in David Williamson's Third World Blues for the STC. He's co-founder of Australian Theatre Live, filming stage shows for archive, broadcast, accessibility. He has well over three decades of experience in theatre, film and television, awarded Best Actor at 2008 IF Awards for his role in the feature film Men's Group. And he's here to talk with me about his life on and off the stage. Welcome, Grant. Well, thank you very much. What an introduction. (laughs) That only just touches on what you've done. We will get into what you're doing now with Australian Theatre Live, But before we do, I want to get a sense of where you came from. Was it a creative family growing up? And what was it like as as a child for you? Well, my my father was a a master mariner, a captain in the Merchant Navy that worked his way up from a cadet. So when he came ashore, we moved around a lot. And I hear this a lot with people who become actors is that, we, I went to two primary schools and three high schools. Mm. And Dad was moving because when he came ashore, he was harbour master in Port Kembla, Newcastle, and then eventually Botany Bay and Sydney Harbour. My mother played piano. She was a beautiful singer. My mother had an extraordinary life. She was born and raised in China wow. with Salvation Army missionary parents. So my grandparents, George and Jesse Walker, were Salvation officers in Shanghai, and and they looked after the the people on the street, the homeless on the street. So mum was born uh, in China, in Tintin, I think, but then she went to the cathedral school and she was interned in a camp, Japanese camp, with her younger brother, Howard, and her mum, my grandmother, Jessie. And her dad went to a political camp. So the Japanese came at three in the morning, dragged her dad away, my grandfather, to a political camp. And for three years, almost three and a half years, they were separated and mum, Howard, and my grandmother were in a prison of war camp or an internment camp in Putung in um, Shanghai. Wow. So a, where does that fit into where I sort of moved? I think there was a combination of, you know, I was bullied a considerable amount being a new person in school. So mm. I used to find personas, I guess, yeah. to retaliate, to defend. So anyway, look, a long story short, I think it's a combination of of many things. But my mother used to teach me songs and I would sing at church I always did school productions and you know it's the typical sort of thing that a lot of actors say wow wow have you made a documentary of your parents I just have to ask that quickly my my uncle Howard has written a book and um 
there are it's documented in in many different areas with George and Jesse. Uh, they they went to India. Mum was into it. Mum came back from China speaking fluent Mandarin, but wow. of course she tried to lose it straight away because the Aussie. Aussies gave her a bit of a hard time because she had a very English accent. And all mm. I can remember is going to Chinese restaurants when I was a young tacker and mm. and mum would order off the menu and the, <laughs> the restaurateurs would go, oh, and all the, the people out of the kitchen would come forward and they'd all chat to each other in Mandarin, you know. Oh, man. It, it was wonderful. Mum brought with her a great humanity and a sense of forgiveness I always wanted her to write. She never got round to doing it. She died relatively young due to the trauma I think she experienced in the camp. I think mum was my biggest fan. You know, Aww. you talk about a country practice. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. she, she used to do all the fan mail, you know, and she'd insist that I came over and signed this and this person needs this. And, you know, in those days, Channel 7 used to supply all the envelopes and the, the postage stamps <laughs> go those yeah, days are all yeah. gone but and do you still have any of those letters from a country practice, practice? uh i think i do i think <laughs> i do have somewhere i know i've got the little fan cards and there's rare ones too fan cards with me and the the wombat that's so so what and a there's time. been a bit of a, there's been a bit of resurgence in country practice actually because of Seven plus rerunning the series. Oh, People yeah. say to me, "Oh, you must have must be great earning all that money from a country practice." Well, no, no, no. We signed a contract that said for any future electronic medium. So how forward thinking? Yeah, very forward thinking. Life's too short to worry about those things. <laughs> Indeed, but can you tell me? Is there a memorable kind of letter that you got? Look, there there is one fan that continually sends me birthday cards really? and letters and I've, I've met her a couple of times over that period of time look it's really difficult a lot of them were just mm. straight out can I have a card mm. a lot of people in the country used to relate mm. their stories I think there was one that was very close to what had happened in the episode and it was about a young boy who was bullied at school who was sick and then through his sickness he um, blossomed one thing about country practice, there were we like our writers, Lynn Bionis and Helen Steele and and Ted Roberts, all worked closely with um, the health department, both federally and state, and so they would communicate and say what's happening in the bush that we could raise an issue around uh, in our show. So that mm. happened quite a lot. Mm. So there were many episodes that I, I recall along those lines, as well as the, you know, the, the soapy romance and um, <laughs> the delightful and wonderful Penny Cook, who I had the yeah. wonderful opportunity to work with for all those years. Yeah. yeah. I, I know we've jumped from you being, you know, in school to a country practice and we will move on back and around. But I asked one last question. To do something that was so popular, it must have been hard to come out of that. How was that to move through for you? Yeah, that's a good question, Gina. It was like, see, I'd worked for 10 years in theatre and, you know, this is ageing me. I did the second last homicide and I did Skyways. So I did certain women. 
I did guest um, uh, roles on many of those. In fact, I did um, David Williamson's, um, oh, the very, very first one, David will kill me, The Department. Yes, I did The Department for ABC. They filmed five Australian plays. So I'd I'd worked fairly extensively and then, Mm. you know, I did a lot of theatre and education, 16 weeks on the road. So when a country practice came, I was, along with the rest of the cast, who are all theatre actors, we were really in our prime position. You know, Shane Porteous had worked on television, Marae Desmond, of course, with her extraordinary career, mm. and Penny Cook and Anne Tenney and Shane Withington, all from theatre. Yeah. So we were very well equipped. And although we, were, we started in non-ratings and not all the executives at Seven were very keen on us. But in answer to your question, we went on and then made Willing and Able for Channel 9. Lynn Bionis and Ted Roberts and Shane and myself had this idea that let's let's get another television series up. Let's I'll become Charles mm. Willing, you're able more. We'll call it Willing and Able. And Channel 9 embraced that idea and we shot on film. It was rushed, mm. you know, Lynn and Ted would attest to many years later us saying, look, we had 13 good episodes, um, but really if we'd had another four months pre-production, we probably would have been in a better position. Now that fell in a heap. We only did 26 eps. Then I couldn't get a television job to save my life. And the ones that I did get, the network vetoed my participation in due to the success of Simon Bowen in a country practice. And it was really interesting because some actors can have success and move on to another series, sort of playing a similar type of character. So I went back to theatre. Right. And I was fortunate enough to do Anything Goes with Geraldine Turner and Simon Burke and and Maggie Kirkpatrick and um, wonderful dancers and singers and you know, I did Sunset Boulevard with Hugh Jackman. Great. Um, oh. You know, when I say to people I had a duet with Hugh Jackman, they, <laughs> wow, you know. And he was a delightful young man in those days. Still, he's still younger than me considerably. <laughs> so, yeah, I was fortunate enough. I did a lot of farce. Mm. I did noises off. I did you know, yeah, yeah. what would be described as hoary old farces, <laughs> bed full of foreigners. Mm. In those days you could tour and earn a considerable living out of it. But then that soon all faded away. Right. <clears throat> I then moved into the corporate acting arena, okay. of which I'm still part of. What do you mean by the corporate acting arena? Yeah. Well, if you mention it to people, they will say, oh, doctor training where you pretend to be... Yeah. You have a particular malady. Yeah, role playing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But this was quite a a step away from that, but using, I guess, the Boel technique or forum theatre technique, Mm. which was initially started in South America and as a way and in South Africa to get the message across. And the idea was you'd perform and then remain in character. So if you played someone who was ignoring safety issues, you would still be that person sitting in front of the audience. Mm -hmm. And the audience had an opportunity to ask you questions. Well, why did you do that? Oh, well, no one here follows the orders. Why should I? And, you know, so it was 
facilitated opening the opportunity for people to express their true feelings around something because the theatre would have hit their emotional area, Mm. which then opens, allows them to open up. Mm. So I worked for um, Margot Cairns and a Zen company called The Change Dynamic. My agent called up and said, oh, there's this woman who does speeches around change and change in change management in business. And then she'll say something and then you come out and do a little sketch. And I went, what? I'm not getting, what are you talking about? And she, I said, well, who's in it? She said, well, David Franklin and Genevieve Moy. Me being a snob went, oh, well, if they're doing it, I'll, I'll get in I'll on do it. it. And uh, we improvised on the shores of Sardinia. Wow. We did workshops in the cornfields in Belgium. I did Levi Strauss in San Francisco. I did, I went to Calgary, uh, Whistler, all of these places, utilising this method where I would cast actors, Mm. we would write a sketch pertaining to the business world, Mm -hmm. present it, then have questions in role and talk Mm. about belief systems and I statements and It was an area, Margot was way ahead of her time. Wow. Um, Emotional intelligence, that's another part of the the equation. You started in theatre on the stage and then hiatus and then back to the stage and now working in filming stage productions. What have you observed in the changing nature of theatre? Hmm. Obviously, the size has changed. I mean, the amount of people that are acting now, yeah, you know, it's chalk and cheese. I mean, when I started and I went from NIDA to the Queensland Theatre Company and I worked in rep there, right? that really doesn't happen now. Although oh. I think Belfire are doing two shows in, in rep coming up, mm. which is great. Oh, yeah. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I, I love seeing actors move from one show to the next. Why, why do you think that is? Is it just co- competition? That and- yes, yeah. yeah. So many more drama schools. Mm. There's so many more areas now. I, I think drama schools are great because I don't think it necessarily means the training you get in a drama school equips you for life, not just having to work on stage, yeah, or, or film or television. It's nice if you can get that, uh, but really your your skills on you know, understanding how we tick, your listening skills are really acute. There's a there's a lot, a lot that a drama school can offer mm. you. So, but nevertheless, that's put so many more actors onto the market. That's why, you know, schools like WAPA are training and the Nepean to, did to a large degree was train actors to be producers and entrepreneurial as well. Yeah. Because you may not get a role, but create it yourself. Mm. and Stevie Rogers and uh, Fiona yeah. Press and all those people from the PN moved into that area and he died with a falafel in his hand. I think that came from the Nepean uh, training as well. Ultimately, every actor has the same drivers that we had all those years ago, 50 years ago, yeah. whatever it was. Yeah. Although I think nowadays, you know, there's more of a fame ingredient I think Mm. and I think that's where some people fall by the wayside because any good actor and any actor that I know that is successful 
fame comes with it and they will certainly be focused on getting a role and focused on moving forward in a role, mm. but that's not their main game. That's not the, the aim to be famous. I'm sure if you spoke to Margot Robbie, she would say, look, I just love what I do and the fact that I'm an executive producer and produce my own films now is part of that, you know, because and so hardworking. I think any actor I know that's successful works really hard at it, you know, nonstop. What are you doing now? Now, Australian Theatre Live, what was the inspiration behind that? Is it archival? Is it entertainment? Yeah, Is it what? yeah all of those things, Regina. It was so like... Um, well, we saw National Theatre Live. Yes. And they were, the English, they were filming uh, National Theatre. And when I was over there, I had my um, um, brother-in-law as an actor and he was uh, working uh, in the National. And, you know, I got to speak to a few people who described how they filmed. And Okay. Yeah, I guess I came back saying, well, why aren't we doing it? Why aren't we? Because digitalizing and filming theater now is a lot easier than it was i mean we put 10 cameras in i was going to ask you how many because it's not like filming a, a just a live production at all no yeah well we only film one production we don't we only film one with an audience mm. um but that look that was it i, I came back and my uh, colleague peter hiscock who we'd worked together many, many years ago in Melbourne and, and then came back together in the corporate arena. The three of us with Raj, Peter and myself said, look, why don't we look into this filming live theatre for distribution? And I think initially it was called Front Row Productions and then it moved to Australian National Theatre Live. The one thing we had to get in place was the agreements. Yeah. That is the main stumbling block. Actors' Equity, the Writers' Guild, all of those sort of things. And to date, we're still struggling with the music rights when a, when a director chooses a Beatles song yeah, or something. Yeah. The theatre payments are considerably less than film and feature <laughs> film payments. But nevertheless, we're, we, mm. we continue. We've learned a great deal. Mm. By the end of the year, we'll have 13 productions and we're currently under contract for Queensland Theatre We've for three we finished one, Taming of the Shrew, which mm-hmm. soon will be available from us. The money is fairly distributed. We're a not-for-profit organisation. Mm-hmm. The money goes directly back into making more. Yeah. Uh, we have a RISE government uh, grant, which has been fantastic, yeah. um, to film 10 productions over the next two years. Yeah. Um, so and we're doing uh, Robin Archer's Australian Stories mm-hmm. and... Return to the Dirt, which is a young Queensland playwright. Mm. So they're the next two for QT. And we're looking at maybe doing another pinch gut opera that Neil Armfield's directing, but um, Great. That's, uh, that's a wait and see. See, a lot of it is opportunistic or a lot of it has been taken away from us because the play's really good. It's already been on. We've had a look at it, but then someone comes in and buys the television rights Mm. or the film rights, Mm. which excludes us. Mm. And that's fair enough, too. The writer 
but it's disappointing that there's no record mm. of it. That's what's so valuable about it is looking back at well, what's on there available at the moment and these moments in time that are oh, like Dapto Chaser, will that ever be on again? So there is the possibility of seeing something. I don't know, what is it about plays? They don't get returned very often to the stage unless they're classics, right? That's true. Well, it's somewhere like the Griffin, which is, you know, hopefully we're um, filming the Orange Thrower next uh, March. South African playwright, um, wonderful, new, up and coming. They're all Australian plays. So I think, yeah. you know, um, speaking to them, they've got 20 plays, yeah. new Australian plays in the wings, you know, mm. ready to go. Um, but, yeah, you're right, but you can see it's like Emerald City. Yeah. It's a perennial. Um, Melbourne Theatre Company did it mm. last year. Uh, and, by the way, the Riverside um, watch party on the 27th. Yes. And I and Wayne Harrison yeah. uh, um, on the 3rd of September for Codgers is coming in. But for the 27th with Emerald City, we've got Lee Lewis, who directed it, yes. joining us for the Q&A. Yeah. And David Williamson himself will be joining us for the Q&A on the Riverside YouTube watch parties. Indeed. So what are you doing now? You said you did a reading. Was that as an actor? Yes, as an actor. I did one day of the year uh-huh. with Fiona Press, actually, and Les Solomon directed it. It was for the Actors Benevolent Fund. Yes. And, in fact, we did it just out at the, uh, the 505, which is now got a different name there. Eliza Street. Yeah. Newtown, yeah. Yeah, it went very well. Mm. You know, people said, oh, well, it's just a reading. But I suppose it comes back to that thing. I mean, I don't know how many hours I spent on it, but I did work on it mm. a considerable amount of time. And a lot of people came up, said, oh, look, you know, that was better than a reading. It really, it had that energy around it. Mm. And um you know, we only had the one rehearsal. But, yeah, so I recently did that. And But I'm really immersed in what I'm doing now with Australian Theatre Live. Yeah, I was going to say it's perfect timing for it, um, the accessibility of it, the international, like, global ability, accessibility as well. The sadness is that it's devastated um, oh, our industry. Yeah. So it's juxtaposed with... You know, something that's working well for us, but um, not not devastating for the for the rest of the industry and and for you know actors and writers and you know producers. If anyone's got any spare cash and are interested in the arts and mm. attend theatre, uh, please donate to the Actors Benevolent Fund because uh, it's supporting a considerable amount of our industry at the moment. Indeed, let's hope. Before too long, you can get back into filming it on the on the stage. Grant Dodwell, thank you so much. Look, it's been a pleasure. And that was the most interesting Grant Dodwell there talking about his life on the stage and off the stage. He's the co-founder of Australian Theatre Live. And if you want to catch some of their shows, you can get on the Australian Live Theatre. But I can offer you a free viewing of The Wharf Review, which... I will place a link to on the 2SER website, Stages, or on the Facebook page, 2SER Stages, as well. So get on there and have a look at the Wharf Review and the other plays that are available. Some remarkable performances uh, from things like Away, 
uh, which was the STC production, which was outstanding, as well as Dapto Chaser or Diving for Poles or a whole lot of others on there worth checking out and renting. But as I said, you can watch the Wharf Review for free 